The request and prayer of the saints that the Lord would speak to us is always answered in this hour of worship. And I don't mean that in a light way. I mean when we tell as God's people, speak to us, Lord, here is his answer and he speaks. And we hear the words of life itself in his word and in the word truly proclaimed. God answers our prayer even in this. Before we read God's word from Luke 8, you would turn there to Luke chapter 8. This is found on page 1101. We'll be reading verses 40 through 56. Before we do that, we will ask for God's blessing. Father in heaven, we have made the request in this dialogue of worship. We, have, we as your people have spoken to you in song and in prayer that you would speak to your people. And we know we hear you in your word. And may we be attentive to it as what it is. May we see the importance here of Jesus Christ and the importance of faith in him. We ask this in his name. Amen. Luke chapter 8 beginning in verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about twelve years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Our theme statement for this morning is verse 50. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe. That is our theme statement. Imagine if you would, and I recognize that for some of us, this isn't just an illustration or an example, but rather something of a hurtful experience or perhaps a hurtful memory. 
But I say this because this gets at what the text is doing. Imagine that you are running into the ER. You were just in a crash. And your young child, your young daughter, is in grave danger and time is of the essence. And there's this, this bleeding in the brain. There, there's something that only this one specialist on call can, can fix or heal. He's, their, he's your daughter's only hope. And he starts walking down the hallway and he's going and then, and then decides to, to take a detour and pause. And begins to converse and, and deal and treat with someone who has a far less life-threatening situation. Someone who isn't in grave danger. And as this, this, this specialist is, is treating this one, your child is not only gasping for breath, but actually dies. That's the situation here. Time is of the essence, it's pressing, and yet we see not just one miracle, we see two that take place, but, but one miracle seems to be the worst-timed miracle ever. It seems to, to make no sense why Jesus would do what he does and delay. In fact, knowing that power had gone out of him, he could have kept going and not, not waited or paused to even make a scene there, and he chooses to. It's a tremendous scene in what has been a tremendous chapter in God's Word. All very similar stories, and we've been dealing with then similar themes, similar ideas of Jesus' power and his identity, and yet faith and how it works with that. We see here, as we said from verse 50, a call from Jesus to a man who has just been informed his daughter is dead. Don't be afraid. Only believe. In the worst situation imaginable. In the worst situation possible, don't be afraid. Only believe. And that's what we see as we'll go through, and we'll see this first in our first point, a dire request. A dire request in verses 40 to 42. This is how Jesus returns from what had been other dire requests and hopeless situations. It seems as if Jesus has gone from one hopeless situation from our vantage point to another. We've seen storms and nature that man cannot control and that was bringing death calmed by Jesus. Hopeless to us and yet he has shown power. We've seen a demon-possessed man full of demons, a legion of them. He couldn't be contained by man. He couldn't be healed by man. And yet Jesus heals him, powerless to us. A hopeless situation for this man. And yet life comes from it. And now Jesus returns back. And he reaches the land from having healed this demon-possessed man. And here comes a dire request. Another hopeless request. Actually hopeless request from two individuals. Two individuals that had what we might call dead ends in their life. They've reached it. They've reached the point where they can't even begin to think that they can fix the situation. And what does the Son of God, what does Jesus do in these situations? Life throws us into so many hopeless situations. Yet Luke 8 frames hopeless situations around the identity and the message of Jesus Christ. We had, hear, we had heard Jesus tell the disciples in the boat, about their, their lack of faith. Where is your faith? He calmed the storm. And, and here, 
He doesn't tell Jairus, where's your faith? Rather, he encourages him and says, don't be afraid. Place that faith in me. Only believe. And so, having returned from the healing, the crowds press about him. Jairus comes and there is that dire request. We learn that Jairus is a ruler of a synagogue. This suggests that he was the main or a main elder in the synagogue. He may have arranged the services. In what capacity did it mean that he was a ruler? We don't, we don't know exactly, excuse me, we don't know exactly what that capacity was. Yet he was a significant man in that community. He had standing. They knew who he was. He had authority. And we also see then there that not all in Jesus' day were opposed to him. In fact, this man comes before him and humbles himself before Jesus and expresses a clear amount of faith. There is there's faith there. He comes to Jesus to make this request, believing that he alone can truly heal his daughter. And there's that request of faith and a response. And Jesus starts off, and we, th- we, we think we should know what would happen now. Here he goes. Jesus responds. But then we move to our second point, a touch of faith. A touch of faith. An interruption occurs. <clears throat> the statement, a touch of faith, has, has two sides to it. Actually, two meanings, and I mean both of them here. A touch of faith re- refers simply to the touch. The woman who came and touched the hem of Jesus' garment, and it was a touch that came from faith. Thus, a touch of faith. And yet... We can use that way as well to describe maybe a small portion of it. It was just a touch of faith. Maybe perhaps it was a bit meager. Maybe it wasn't some magnificent faith that that was praised by Jesus that made him marvel, but rather one that was wanting to hide, that didn't want to be brought in anyone's attention, that didn't want even Jesus to know what had happened. And so it's a touch of faith. Faith is present. But maybe it's also as well a simple, just a touch of faith, a, a meagerness in that touch. And we'll see that tonight. We're going to look at that and how Jesus responds to faith. And how sometimes, in fact, in our case, it isn't because of magnificent faith that makes Jesus respond. It's just faith. Tonight, we'll look about And we'll see how to gain stronger faith. And I say that now because this morning I'm not going to talk about that. I'm not going to talk about the right means we should take to have a strengthened faith. And we should seek that. This morning I want to think of it in that way. Rather, the faith that perhaps is weaker. And yet, what Jesus does in response so we see the narrative. The crowd is, is pressing around him. Jesus, in, in our illustration, this ER doctor is on his way to heal. The crowds press against him. There's a lot of contact going on. And this woman, who must have said in her own mind, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, maybe I'll be healed. She's described as having a discharge of blood for 12 years. This may not sound perhaps as as dire to us, but in that day and age, this condition would have made her continuously unclean for the entirety of those 12 years. Leviticus 15, 26, and 27 explain what her life would have been like. It says, For such a woman, every bed on which she lies, all the days of her discharge, shall be to her as the bed of her impurity, And everything on which she sits shall be unclean, as in the uncleanness of her menstrual impurity. 
And whoever touches these things shall be unclean, and shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. So it has been an extremely embarrassing and difficult situation for her to have nonstop uncleanness for 12 years. This would have radically affected her ability even to live in that community, as others would not have wanted to even be around her, lest they be defiled until that evening and, and contract that impurity, that defilement. 12 years of agony and embarrassment. She spent all that she could and has exhausted all the, the, what the medicines of the day could have performed upon her. She has lost all, is likely now impoverished because of this very condition that she has sought to remove herself from and can't. Hopeless. Dead end. Life. We all reach situations like these or, or maybe not in that capacity, even in our minds, situations of hopelessness and dead ends. How will she be healed? And so she goes, and with an amount of faith and a touch of faith, knows that she's immediately healed by just the garment of Jesus Christ. His, his power is so radiant, his power is so there, that at the, very, at the mere touch of someone with faith, this power goes out of him and heals. Not that Jesus didn't have any control of the situation, or that couldn't control that aspect, but you see the way his power responds, how he responds to those who are coming to him and placing even an element of faith that, they, that she could be healed by him. Notice a few things here. As we've already said, Jesus is, is in no rush to continue. This, this delay needs to be screaming at us, Jesus, why are you stopping? So notice that first of all, but also know that Jesus is insistent that this woman make her healing public, that her healing be brought to light. She wanted to remain obscure. If, she would have, if, if Jesus just continued walking, that was probably her, her best possible scenario. No one could have known, no one would have known what she had done. But she obeys, she responds, and she declares what she has done Notice what made her touch effective. Notice what healed her. It wasn't just the proximity of Jesus. Many are pressing around Jesus, and it's not as if just the press of Jesus automatically takes you to a healed state. It's not as if that would happen. What, what brought about this healing? Jesus tells us in verse 48, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. The response of the healing was through faith. And it shows you that this miracle means more than just bodily healing. It's meant to illustrate a greater, a more important, a deeper truth that in Jesus and through faith there is salvation. There's full healing. There's newness and fullness of life in him through faith. That's what's being illustrated in this event, in an even healing of a discharge of blood, of a physical malady, a greater point's being illustrated and shown. And that's why Jesus made her make it known. That's why Jesus didn't just keep walking and stop and let her go off healed. No, he would bring that to light. Tell her what even had healed her, even if it was rather a meager faith. That's why we, we might think that. 
She didn't display these grand characteristics. It seemed to be a touch that was designed to be in secret. And so it wasn't some grand display of that faith, but look what happens. Jesus heals. We learn that God deals kindly and gently with his people. He accepts our faith, though even imperfect and weak. See, what's comforting about this to us is it's not as if there's a percentage line of the power of faith, and if you have, if you have 10% of faith, that's not enough. Your, 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 te- your, your faith needs to reach like, like 60% or 75%, and, and now that's acceptable faith. No, true faith saves. Now, it's a bit constrained to even try to put in levels or measurable levels of faith, and yet we live understanding that we have weakness even in our faith. We even have that that phrase in God's word, I believe, help my unbelief. And we, we, we understand that. We know exactly what that request means. But We believe, but we even know the weakness of our belief and trust. And that didn't deter Jesus from healing her. Jesus didn't stop and say that touch wasn't enough faith. You didn't put enough belief in me. He has compassion. And her belief has healed her and made her well. She wanted to remain anonymous. And she can't. This healing occurs because she has faith, not because she has enough of it. Faith, even timid faith, has importance as long as it's placed truly in Christ. As long as it is a true faith, even when we see that we have doubts, we have fears, Jesus saves. This text shows the truth we needy sinners are gasping for, what Jesus does in it. The greatness of this text isn't the quality of the faith of the needy Christians here. The greatness of this text is not how strong her faith or Jairus' faith was. The greatness of this text is that they placed their faith in him. And in that, a malady that couldn't be healed by all of man's efforts for 12 years afflicted is gone. And in that faith, a daughter who has just died is raised again. It's the power of God. It's not the power of us. It's not the power of our faith. It's the power of Christ through that. That's the compassion that Jesus gives here. His compassion is is always there for these poor souls. And he tells her, go in peace. Go in peace. That isn't just a nice way of saying goodbye. It's not just the way you would dismiss someone. Have a good day. It's not that. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Jesus came to be the bringer of peace, to to be the one to put right the distance and issue and problem between God and his people. And this woman who had sought healing of a bodily discharge leaves in peace. Imagine that. A woman who had no peace for so long leaves even with more than just a healed body, but rather the Savior of the world telling her, your faith has made you well, go in peace. That's what Jesus brings. 
And so we see this healing. We see even for her, her faith has saved her. And now we continue with the narrative into our third point, a hard lesson. A hard lesson. We come back to the pressing story. This interruption should have been making us tap our feet in impatience and wondering about this girl near death. And it's answered right away. Someone comes and tells Jairus that his daughter has died. Do not bother the teacher anymore. These units are meant to go together. In all the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where this occurs, it is this healing of this woman that's sandwiched right with this healing of Jairus' daughter. They're meant to go together. It isn't a mistake that they're there. There's even details in the text that show there's connections that are trying to be made with what Jesus has done to this woman and what he will do for this girl and for Jairus himself. Jesus uses a term of address to this woman he doesn't normally use. He, he calls her daughter. And it is the daughter of Jairus who's in danger. You also see that this woman had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And Luke uses a roundabout way of saying the age of this girl, she was about 12 years old. It's ways to connect these stories that they're not disconnected. And so what Jesus just did in healing a physical malady and issue and problem is now going to extend to something even greater. And the lesson Jesus just gave there to one who had perhaps even a meager faith will extend to this great act of faith he's asking Jairus to place in him. Don't be afraid, only believe. And here we see the hard lesson. Jesus' delay was on purpose. Jesus' delay was on purpose. He didn't just get unknowingly sidetracked. Which meant that he was going to call Jairus to a greater level of faith than Jairus had placed in him to begin with. For the sake of his people, God will at times arrange a trial as painful as it gets. That's the hard lesson. But we have to see that it's for his greater purposes. In the hymn, God moves in a mysterious way, which we'll sing after the sermon. There's a line that applies to this situation very well, and that I would assume would apply to your life very well. It's this. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust in him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Isn't that the way life seems at times? Can't we say and haven't we experienced the providence of God and thought it was a frowning providence? God's frowning at us in this. His control of our lives and this world brings so much pain, that's what we think. But that line from the hymn says, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, which means to, to then only see a frowning providence, to be taken down by that and depressed and discouraged by that, is, is feeble sense, is wrong thinking, because we need to know, and this is an act of faith, that behind what appears to be a frowning providence lies God's smiling face. And it's so evident in this story. Jairus had come, placed 
faith in Jesus and now is asked to place so much more in him. Now it's not just go heal my daughter near death. It's to reverse the irreversible. It's to take that last enemy and defeat that. And Jesus turns and says to him, don't be afraid, only believe. It's a hard lesson that we all are called to learn, but what this text shows us is the victory of that lesson is the hard lesson reveals not ultimately a frowning God, but a smiling one. What faith brings us to is salvation, it's peace. Jairus had faith for a sick daughter, but will he still have faith for a dead one? Don't be afraid, trust. One commentator says, it's as if Jesus was saying something like, you trusted in me in what was urgent, now trust in me in what is hopeless. You trusted in me in what was alarming, now trust in me in what seems irreversible. You thought I was adequate for that original situation, but what about this? Can you trust me? The point, brothers and sisters, of frowning providences is that our faith and trust would be placed in Jesus even more so. And yet again, that's the point of them. We go through them, God's people go through them for this. A lot of what I'm going to say comes from what Dr. Beach has said about this text. He uses the the term to describe these a lot of dead ends. Jesus calls needy believers who have approached these dead ends to believe And he makes this point. When you go to Jesus for help, you get more from him than you expected, but you have to give more than you were at first willing to give. I'm going to say that again. When you go to Jesus for help, you get more from him than you expected, but you have to give more than you were at first willing to give. That's the lesson of faith. Faith brings far more than we could ever know, than than we even realize now. It will bring blessings upon blessings. It will bring peace, the likes of which we can't even imagine. He will give far more than we ever thought. But he demands our whole faith. He demands our life. He demands our trust. And we see that played in a practical way here. He demands from Jairus a greater faith, but Jairus will receive something greater than he even came to receive. Not a healed sick daughter, a raised dead one. He receives far more. We are often brought to the questions and to the times we say, Why, Lord? Why, Lords, come up into our life all the time? Why, Lord, why did you do this? And then to think what Scripture says and what Jesus tells Jairus right after that news. And so imagine this. Imagine hearing the news of your dead daughter and then hearing God's word say, don't be afraid, only believe. It, it actually becomes a harder lesson for those of us here on earth when Jesus isn't trying to show foretastes of heaven in these miraculous ways anymore, and what we are left with is our dead daughter, or the trial, or the why, Lord. We're left with the frowning providence, it seems. But the act of faith that we're called to is what Jesus has said, don't be afraid, only believe. 
And that's true for every one of the trials of life. Sometimes the dead end remains and it will last all our life. Sometimes the dead end is not taken away. Sometimes God's answer is, No, my power is sufficient for you. Don't be afraid, only believe. Sometimes the answer is yes. In fact, often an answer for healing is yes. We experience it day by day. But sometimes an answer is yes, but it'll happen ten years from now. This is the hard lesson. We're placed in positions where our strength is at an end and all that remains is our faith. But the comfort of that is that though God and Jesus demands far more from us than what we were initially thinking, what we maybe were even initially willing to give, his answers are far greater than what we could ever imagine and what we could ever expect. We need to hear both these stories together because sometimes all we see within ourselves is a meager faith. Or sometimes we need to be brought to the place where all we can muster is a meager faith. But the truth of Jesus is sufficient. The truth of Jesus responds. And steps of meager faith that seek to respond to the Lord most certainly result in greater faith and a depth and a relationship with God himself, because behind the frowning providence lies the smiling face. And then the text ends in our final point, a point, a great blessing. A great blessing. He receives his daughter back, and he does this in a situation no one thought possible. Those, the the mourners who come, and that's what they would do in that day and age when someone would die, there would be those who would come. It was even a job, a role that needed to be filled, and they were these even professional mourners, and they would come and make great songs of mourning and and great displays. This This was the practice, and Jesus tells those around them, that the, the daughter is just sleeping. And of course, he knows that she's dead, but what he's meaning is he's, he's, he's tipping the scale or he's anticipating what he's going to do, that she will be resuscitated, that she's coming back to, to stop the mourning, and they just laugh at him. They know that she's dead. No faith is present there. And so what does, what does Jesus do? He keeps all outside except his close disciples, the mother and the father, and he heals her. And he heals her in such a way that reminds us of the Old Testament healings. He even tells her that food should be given to her to, to show that her bodily life has been, has been given back and she's full and well. Give her the food, let her go about her day, begin life again. She's been fully restored. What a Savior. You see, tying these two miracles together, interweaving them together, gives us a theological point that healing and wholeness and life are available to all who come to Jesus with faith in his power. And you know what's amazing that this text shows us? You can't place too much faith in him. It's impossible. Your faith, as strong as it could ever be, would never be grasping even just a part of the goodness of Jesus, of the power of Jesus. You cannot put too much faith in him. This has a very practical application for our life. When we don't want to go through something, 
And we don't want the next day, and we're put at the point where the only way to proceed is in faith in Jesus, but to know that I can go into that point knowing I cannot place too much faith in him. If I place faith in him and go into this trial or into this next day or into this treatment or whatever it is, you know he does not fail. You know that your faith is well-placed. And you know what it means, practically speaking? It means when you have those thoughts that just keep wanting to come and plague you, the worries and the fears and the doubts, it means that you say, Lord, I trust you. And you turn your attention away. And you actually have to make that decision in your mind, Jesus has this. And as long as I continue to try to meddle with it, as long as I continue to try to put it in my mind and work it out, I am not showing the full faith I ought. Don't be afraid. Only believe. Place your trust in him. Why does the text end the way it does? Why the the charge of silence? It could be that it's just simply Jesus, in light of the crowd's presence, didn't want this news to come out right then and create a frenzy. And it's merely a delay. Don't tell anyone about it now. That, That could be what he's saying. But I think there's a deeper point here. And one that gives us a a direction. I believe Jesus calls for silence here because to openly declare this miracle would place the emphasis in the wrong spot. What would become the the central aspect of what Jesus did here? What would be highlighted above all else? It's the miracle. It would be what he performed. And what would that do? What, what, What people would be thinking that following Jesus means Salvation from death itself at this moment. Healing of my diseases, raising of my loved ones. It would mean, let's go after Jesus and receive these things. But that is not the emphasis Jesus would have. The emphasis is on faith in him. Jesus isn't going to daily raise those from the dead. In fact... Bringing this message out before the rest of Revelation had occurred, before time had passed, and true teaching would be able to explain what this miracle meant, would have created the frenzy, and would have created a consumeristic mentality, and the idea that all that would come from Jesus was these blessings, and that is not actually the point. The normal way of life is not to receive your dead loved one back. And in fact, at least on this time in this earth, the commitment Jesus requires from those who would follow him isn't the commitment of, Lord, heal my disease, Lord, raise my loved one. Rather, the type of commitment of those who follow him is one of suffering rather than, than that earthly blessing. And so I believe that there's this call for quiet, that we even need to receive if what we're wanting from this text is just the removal of the trial, is just the answer to what plugs us. That's not the fundamental lesson of the trial. The fundamental lesson of the trial is to draw near to God in faith 
And that's what we are called to. That's the point of so much of what we undergo. And if we get that wrong, if we're only seeking the removal, we've made Jesus into something he's not, to something even here I believe he's saying is wrong. That's not what he brings yet. He will, but not yet. The point that we take away from this is what he said to Jairus himself in the midst of our difficulties to us needy believers, Jesus says, don't be afraid, only believe. And to grasp the truth that though Jesus requires more than what we expected in the faith, he answers and gives more than we could ever know. That's the deep lesson to take here. That's our comfort. To draw near to him Because some are going to pray and pray and pray and they're still going to be paralyzed and in wheelchairs. Despite countless prayers, some some couples are going to remain barren. Some children are going to remain wayward. Some thorns in the flesh will not be removed. Some cancers will kill. Some single people will remain unmarried. And does this then, does this this text fall away? Because Jesus didn't answer it. I would phrase it this way, no, this text and its truth doesn't fall away. It's being answered. And we'll find fulfillment. It will find the same lesson that this woman with this discharge of blood learned, that Jairus learned, even our meager faith results in salvation, healing, and ultimately peace. Trust in that people of God, and know that this text places before you your Savior who will never fail, a Savior whose providence is truly only ever smiling upon us. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we see a hard lesson as well as a great blessing. And we pray that you would strengthen us for the hard lesson, the hard lessons of life, but that, Lord, we would see the great blessing you have and that it isn't just that we won't have difficulties now, but it's that we have true life in you, true salvation through faith. And we praise you for your compassion and love that saves even us who have to utter those words, Lord, we believe, but help our unbelief, help us in our weakness, and to know you answer, you do not scorn a a wick, you do not snuff out a bruised reed, you do not break. You are with us, your people, and you are compassionate always to save the poor like us who need you. We ask this in your great name. Amen.